0: What is happening? Episode number eight of Creating Space is coming right at you. I'm Wes Knight, host of the show, and this week I'm bringing you Heather Keats Wright. She is the Senior Vice President and Creative Director at Pace. But that is just where she is at this moment. She's got quite the ascension through her career, starting as a journalist and an editor, working her way up to being a managing editor at TeamPeople.com, MarthaStewart.com, and many others. So we're going to take a look at her career, her ascension, and just some of the roadblocks she encountered in her life as she worked to rise to the pinnacle of her career. So with episode number eight, we have Mrs. Heather Keats-Wright. Heather Keats Wright, we're sitting in your house, and this is a familiar place for me because your husband, Mark Wright, has been on two podcast episodes, but he's not the brains of this family. No. You are. This is true. Yeah, you are. And you are also the brains, the SVP, the chief idea officer at PACE. First of all, you have SVP attached to your name. That is cool. Wow.
1: It is pretty baller. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that is a fairly new title for me, recently promoted in the last um, seven to eight months, SVP ECD, actually, which Okay is Senior Vice President Executive Creative Director for PACE, which is a content marketing agency.
0: Okay. Tell me the day in the life of an SVP. What is your role? What are you doing in the biggest office in the building?
1: <laughs> so- A, I have an office, but I'm never in it, Okay, which is exciting for many reasons. One, I work remotely. Awesome. So I'm one of the members of that growing army of people who work from anywhere. Um, A typical day in the life for me starts with a little centering. So I used to wake up, jump out of bed and go. Yeah. And that's not good for anybody. That's not good for me in terms of health happiness, well-being. It's not good for my family. It's not good for anybody who works with or for me. Right. So I have learned to take a little bit of time. And it's something my mother used to say all the time, actually. First thing you need to do when you open up your eyes is thank God for another day. Okay. So I have learned to do that. I will confess that sometimes that's about all I do, but that's (laughs) bad. I'm trying to learn and grow and spend a little bit more time talking to God and meditating and getting the day started because really... It's about that gratitude. And if I don't have it, it throws off my entire day. Because I can't figure out why it is I'm going. Why are you going at this breakneck pace? Who is this for? Who are you trying to please? So if you take a few minutes in the beginning of the day, for me, that's how it starts. I can ground myself. After that, it's on. It is on. I get, I can't tell you how many hundreds of emails a day. And one of the things that makes me feel good about that, I don't answer them all. I don't get back to everybody. People who are emailing me know this. But if I can at least acknowledge that I've tried my best, that I've gotten through that day being responsive to most of the demands on my time, whether that's professionally or personally, then I feel good about that. Anyway. Start the day and it's on and popping because the emails are there. They're waiting for you. When you work at an agency, the work actually never stops. There's always somebody at the agency working 24 hours a day. And that's true. Whether it's somebody who is burning the midnight oil working till 1 or 2, or somebody who's decided I do my best work at 4 a.m., or somebody who said I just need to get up a little bit earlier tomorrow. I'm going to get up at 4, 4.30 so I can be in front of my laptop at 5. The work is always being done. Mm. So when I wake up and log on, There's work in my inbox. So I get to it. In my role, I lead the creative team of about 130 people. And that includes everything from writers to editors, photographers, videographers, illustrators, people who are working to create content, all types of content for our clients for all types of needs. So I have a partner. I'm the edit. She's the art. And together, we co-manage that team.
0: Ooh, 130 people underneath you. So in order to get going and open up that email inbox, which might hit you in the face some mornings, you need to get hype. Yeah. You need to get hype. And, and I saw the way your demeanor changed when you said, it's on, yeah. let's go. And I, I remember that feeling as an athlete, you know, when you're in the locker room and you, when you get to the field, you have a soft demeanor about you, but then you start to morph into mm-hmm. that armor that mm-hmm. you need to go out and to perform. So what makes you hype? Coffee. What get you going? Coffee? Coffee. coffee.
1: <laughs> let's let's be real. Yeah, so I do coffee. If I'm going someplace like Starbucks, it is a grande latte with an extra shot soy. If I make it at home, it's an almond milk latte with a double shot. Ooh. yeah.
0: So when you're at home you turn it you turn the heat up even more. Two <laughs> shots.
1: Yeah, I know my partner's always like, did you have an extra shot this morning? <laughs> I'm like, no, yes you did. Yes you did. Um, yeah, usually the coffee and I'm joking about it, but I, that's, I get going. It's how I get going. And during the school year, it's take the kids to where they need to be. I get a little walk in with the dog and then I sit down, I have the coffee and I go. And sometimes I stop and I hear myself and it is like this rapid, fast pace. I'm on a call. I'm probably multitasking, sending an email at the time sending a text because we work via text too. And it's just, it's just go, go, go. I have meetings all day. right? Um, I try not to have meetings all day. I need to have a little bit of a break in the middle of the day, a little bit of a break in the afternoon, but sometimes that's not possible and it's just go, go, go.
0: Okay. So you've, this is 20 plus years for you to be able to have this amount of responsibility and be able Mm. to have the go, go, go. Let me take you back to fresh out of Syracuse University.
1: Right. And, I,
0: and from what I've gathered, it was a little magazine called Seventeen. Yep. That Eventually. you were affiliated with. Yeah. Um, teen People.
1: Yep. That was in there, too. So the first job out of Syracuse University. So I was classic overachiever, right, at Syracuse University. I was in the Newhouse School Communications. It is the best communication school in my opinion, so came out of there, uh, and I did internships, and I wrote. I started writing for magazines as a student when I was, I think, sophomore year. I happened to connect myself to a mentor who was looking for someone young and bright and black. To be honest, put okay. it out there. Her name is Judith Dubinsky, and I reconnected with her a little while ago. At the time, she was an editor at Business Week magazine. And she specifically said to the New House School, she's a graduate also, she specifically said, I would like an African American intern. And at the time I kinda of thought that was funny. That was cool. I was like, man, how could Was she African American? No. Or,
0: okay. No. So that's why yeah that, no. there you go.
1: Yeah, go and so the request was bold at the time. This was the um this was the nineties, nineteen ninety in fact exactly. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so bold and that's so baller to be able to say this yeah. is what I want, and I know you have it, and I'm going to make it create an opportunity for someone. And I was the recipient of that forward thinking at the time because even though it was the '90s, I was forward thinking, sure. and it was Business Week magazine. It was not a small magazine, not, um, not a all. small media property, and she didn't have to do it. So one of my teachers connected me with her, and. Sent her a letter, sent her my stuff. She said, perfect. You're going to come to New York City this summer, and you're going to have the best internship ever. And I did. There was a formal internship program, and then there was the Judith Dabrinsky internship program, and right. I was the only one in it. And she said, I don't want to put you in the formal internship program because those kids are not going to write. Those kids are going to get coffee, and they're going to do filing, and they're going to go on field trips, and you need to learn how to write. Okay. And so she put me under her wing, tucked me right under. And sure enough, before I know it, it's actually sitting right behind you. You didn't even know it. The five articles that I wrote that summer for Business Week magazine, I was published with my name in that magazine five times at the end of the summer.
0: Holy smokes. Yeah. Fresh out of school.
1: I was still in school. I was a sophomore, I think. Wow. That just speaks to so many things. It speaks to the power she had. The foresight she had, the determination she had, I am positive she did not go into her boss's office and say, I'm going to go get a black intern. Right. That's not how it's done. Right. What she said was, I'm sure of it. I need an intern, somebody who can do work for me specifically. Can I get approval to to do that? And I'm positive after much discussion. She got that because she's a determined, fierce woman. She got it. And then she decided this is the person I'm going to give opportunity to. And that person was me. And that poster with all my articles on it behind you is something that my cousins made for me at graduation. They'd taken all my articles and they had them laminated. And I love it. And I look back on it. I put it in my office, my craft room, because if I'm thinking about, you know, where it started for me professionally on a national scale, that's it right there. I interviewed Kenneth Cole, the Kenneth Cole, the shoe guy, um, when he was just starting out, and he used to do these wild and crazy stunts in New York to get attention, yeah. and so, but he was making all this money, and he was making a name for himself, Talk about creating space, so I interviewed him and wrote a story on him. I interviewed these executives at RJR Nabisco about the tobacco industry. I didn't know what I was doing, Right, and you know what? When I look back on it, she didn't give me a whole lot of guidance either. What she saw in the samples that I gave her when I was at, you know, when I was a candidate for this internship is somebody who had potential. And she said, I'm going to give you this assignment. I remember the one of them is with Avon. I I interviewed someone at um, Avon for about their diversity practices and how they were doing a great job. And she was like, you know, the questions to ask, go do it and don't mess it up.
0: Mm. Trial by fire.
1: Literally, And I sat down just like you did. And I wrote some questions out on a reporter's notepad. And I held my breath in my corny like $20 suit. And I went (laughs) in and I asked those questions. Yeah. And I got answers. And I took that reporting. I came back and I wrote an article. And I'm pretty sure some of those articles were very little editing. One of them was a complete rewrite. But that's par for the course anyway. The point is my name is on each and every one. Mm. And she didn't have to do it. And she then saved my butt again because because I got such a great internship before I graduated college, I, of course, thought somebody was going to hire me immediately. I thought that it was going to be graduation day and the offers are going to be rolling in. So, of course, that's not what happened. And I also decided I wasn't going to look for a job till like May. Right. So um, I got no job offers. So I spent that whole summer like regretting not starting earlier. I can't believe I screwed this up. I've been published in Business Week magazine and I, I'm not even able to convert it. I feel sure. it converted into a job. So I interviewed at the Syracuse City Papers. There were two at the time. I was lucky to land an interview. So the guy said, all right, come on up. I was back home in New Jersey at the time. Come on back up. We'll interview you and give you like a county beat. I was like, perfect. I go up there in my little dress and necklace and heels. And I interview with people, did well. And he's like, I'm going to take you to the areas that you're going to cover. I was like, great. So this is upstate New York, farm country. I'm not kidding you. He literally showed me a pasture that was going to be my territory. No way. This is where you're going to be covering anything that goes on in the county government. Now I'm not knocking that. That's how you started newspaper. Sure. But now I'm me, right? I was published in Business Week magazine. He mm. clearly did not know who he was talking to. Right. I'm not even kidding you, Wes. I literally was driving around those those counties in upstate New York. I literally fell asleep in the car. Really? That's how boring it was. Wow. That probably is why I didn't get the job.
0: So at that point, you had been published in a nationally published magazine. Mm-hmm. Now you're in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. The ego had been tested a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, a you're little looking bit. at yourself, thinking, "Whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa." Yeah. How yeah. am I here?
1: How this happened?
0: How did this happen?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: W- what What happened next?
1: So I didn't get that job, right? Needless to say, okay. He's like, "That's luckily, probably yes, right?" Luckily. Luckily. So I went back desperate and I actually called Judith Dobrinsky and I said, it's almost September. I can't find a job and I don't know what to do. And she said, she was so mad. I could hear it in her voice. She was so mad. So it's basically like I gave you this opportunity and you squandered it. She said, what I can do is I have a friend, I have a friend at Entertainment Weekly Magazine's magazine that was just started by Time Inc. And maybe he can give you an internship. So I called this friend, his name was Don Morrison, called him, I interviewed, he gave me the job as an intern, no pay. I was so happy. Mm. I could not have been happier because I knew Time Inc., one of the biggest media houses in the country, in the world, and Entertainment Weekly. It was new at the time. It just started, maybe two years old. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I will work here for free. And I did. I worked for free. Um, I ate uh, coffee and bagels every day. Of that internship and I worked so hard it turned into a job I got a job as an editorial assistant Um, I was so broke actually before I got the job as an intern the woman who was in charge of the internship program she took pity on me and she said when I was about to convert that to a job she said I know you're happy you're getting a job I also know you don't have any money and I you know I could have asked my parents for money why not how much they would have given me is another story, but I didn't want to. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. They had just paid for me to go to Syracuse university. I didn't have the guts or the heart to ask them for another dime. So she said, I know you don't have any money. I'm going to loan you your first paycheck. And when you get paid in two weeks, you pay me back. And that's exactly what she did. Wow. Yeah. She gave me that loan. She spotted me that loan so that I could have more than coffee and bagels. I used to get it at around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So it was my breakfast and my lunch. And then I would just eat dinner when I went home. And so I think she probably noticed that habit.
0: <laughs> there was a there was a point in my life where I've been at that place too on a, on a peanut butter jelly mm, mm-hmm. diet where I would literally pack five peanut butter and jellies into that's a sack.
1: yeah. And, and that's eat gross. that every yes. single day. <laughs>
0: you know yes. and i hated yes. peanut butter and jelly yes. Yes, but that's, right. that's what i had to eat cuz yeah, that's right. that's the grind mm-hmm. and if mm-hmm. you're about if you've got the grind juice mm-hmm. and you're about it then you'll do what it takes yeah and and that was a lot of people will give up in those adverse situations mm-hmm. but for you you loved it you saw the vision you you knew that this was only temporary this too right. shall pass right and if i do well here it's going to open up some door. Yeah. I don't know what door, and I don't know where that door is going to come from, but mm-hmm. it will, and I have faith. So there's a lot of people who, who are stuck in that right now, right? right? Because jobs are scarce. Right. There's lots of competition. Right. There's social media where you're comparing mm-hmm. yourself. How did you keep the faith? How did you say, okay, I know this is going to work, and I'm just going to keep doing what I need to do?
1: Well, I mean, there are a couple of things. I don't know. I, I'm not going to sit here and say it was keeping the faith as much as it was, I knew I could not fail again. Because I knew I had messed up, right? Okay. Had a great college career, they call it. I did well, got the bylines. That's what every communication student wants is a byline. I had a great portfolio when I graduated, but I messed up. I didn't turn that into a job because I was so full of myself that I didn't start looking for a job. And the people who got up early in the morning started looking for a job in March and April beat me to it. And I didn't want to mess up again. I didn't want to let my mentor down and I didn't want to let my parents down. My parents worked hard to put me through college and Syracuse University is not cheap. It's not cheap now. It wasn't cheap then. Right. And my parents did not go to college. I was the first. And so I was mad at myself and I was focused. They did not send you to college to come out and fail. So I had to get my act together. That's really, it, I, I'd we like need to, to be sit humbled. here. We and, need to be humbled. Exactly. We need and to I'd like humbled. to sit here and say it was keeping the faith, but no, it was getting my shit together. Yeah. So uh, I did that.
0: I'm not as good as I think I am. Right, And now exactly. i got to chase.
1: Exactly. And I know I know everybody can't work for free. I know when you get out of college, you the last thing you want to do is work for free. The last thing you want to do is ask your parents for money. I know you may be a couple years out of college, but at a certain point, you have to make a decision. How bad do I want what I want? And what am I going to do to get it? I had that experience at that time.
0: And you knew that this is what it took to get you mm-hmm. from one place to the other. Yeah. From... In your comfort zone, concentric circle of your comfort zone right into the concentric circle of the magic. Right. All right. So here you are. You've just gotten your new job. Mm -hmm. You're working, working your way up. Let's go through the the progressive jumps. I'll go back in the day. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um,
1: So Entertainment Weekly, that was fun. That was actually like being in college, right? So it was a new magazine at the time. They were doing cool things. There was no social media, internet, all this stuff. That was just happening at the time. And it was fun, and I, we got the chance to go out and report and interview celebrities. And So
0: tell me some inter- tell me some celebrities oh, you were gosh. sitting in front of. So,
1: so I was, um, Entertainment Weekly at the time, that was not terribly diverse. It's probably similar, no offense, some lovely people who still work there that I know. But I, was, I put myself on the black beat, right? So if there was a black movie out or a record out or whatever it was that I wanted to hear or listen to or watch or TV show, that's what I rose my hand to, can I cover that person? So I interviewed Jada Pinkett Smith. I remember that was when her movie, Low Down, Dirty Shame, came out with Keenan Ivory Wayans, Will Smith, Queen Latifah, any rapper at that time, LL Cool J, whoever it was, that was my beat. That was that was what I wrote about. Awesome. Those are the people I interviewed. It was fun. It was so much fun. And it, it was me, the reporter's notebook in hand, a pen, and... When did so
0: it? I, Will Smith is an idol of mine. Mm-hmm. I used to idolize <laughs> Fresh Prince, the <laughs> yeah. way he would banter with people and mm-hmm. the energy that he had. I yeah. feel, I feel like I molded yep. some of my personality off of him. Mm-hmm. I would watch him. You could do worse. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Every yeah, day. Yeah. yeah. I have a big painting that I'll never let go of that I actually traded one of my acrylic paintings mm-hmm. for. What was it like rubbing shoulders with Fresh Prince? I mean what, what he's very motivational. I don't know if you've seen that side of him. He's got No,
1: he was younger at the time, but yeah. you know, back in the day it was just like he's so cute. <laughs> um you know, but he the, was
0: Mr. Cool.
1: He was yeah. He was Mr. Back cool, then. you know. So it was, you know, it was you can't be starstruck when you're a celebrity reporter. Right. You have to get the work done. So it was cool. He was he's very tall, he is handsome, sure. he is all those things and charismatic, right? So the thing about Will Smith and And any of those people, Queen Latifah and Jada Pinkett Smith, and they were not together at the time, they have that thing. There is such a thing as it. They have that quality and they knew how to play the game. So they knew these are people who are interviewed for a living, right? So they had me wrapped around their finger in no time, giving me great sound bites and funny and being familiar. And so that I get go back to the office and I have great stuff and I can write a great story. That's how you do it. They knew that. And at the time, I just thought I was amazing. I'm so good. Oh, I'm so good. I'm getting all these great quotes. (laughs) No, they were so good, and they were playing me, and that's how the game works. And that's kind of why I got turned off from celebrity journalism. At the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I just don't feel like writing a nice article about you because I interviewed you for 25 minutes, half an hour, maybe 30 minutes. And I don't know you as a person, and I just kind of got over it. But. um Yeah, it was a great training ground. I will say that. And I got more bylines. I got my name out there. Um, You sort of build a name for yourself with publicists in in the business and they call on you to interview certain subjects or your boss will call that publicist and say, I'd like to interview your person and I'm going to send Heather. You know her, she's good, right? So that's how you do it. I was not really into that. So this is how you no. learn how to play
0: the game. Exactly. It's where you took the soccer ball out exactly. and you were juggling for a bit, mastering your touch.
1: Exactly. I exactly. love.
0: I love that analogy. At what point at that time did you feel like what you call the it factor? I call the juice. Mm-hmm. So yep. when yep. did you know you had the juice?
1: Oh man. So I think that probably came much later. So I decided I wanted to be an editor. I left Entertainment Weekly. I went to a little-known black publication that was owned by BET called YSB, which was a teen magazine for for black kids. I worked there for exactly one year, and then it went out of business. Might make the connection that it was my fault. It was not my fault. (laughs) It was (laughs) determined to go out of business. So I came back, and then I went to Seventeen Magazine. I think it was roundabout then because you get to see as you advance in your career who's getting opportunity and who's not. And sometimes that's not just about being good, but... A lot of times it is, right? Right. I find that a lot of people want to make excuses. So-and-so is getting this and I'm not. So-and-so is getting this opportunity and I'm not. What I always try to do and what I encourage people on my team to do is ask yourself, are you the best? Are you doing it better? Right. How's your work? How's your work ethic? Because if it's not, then don't come in here complaining to me about what somebody else is getting. Ooh. Right? And I've had those hard conversations recently. Don't come to me, and I didn't go to anybody unless I knew I was doing the best work I could possibly do. Right. When people started acknowledging that and giving me assignments and bigger assignments and promotions, it's kind of realized when I realized I was good. But at the level I'm at now, I mean, it was much, much later before I realized that I had it. And by that, I mean much of what I do now is going in front of clients and speaking to people and convincing them to give us large amounts of money to create content for them. That's not easy. And you have to know your stuff and you have to be passionate about what you do. So I think in terms of what I'm doing now, that was probably maybe only in the last year, year and a half, did I realize that. And that's actually when I got the promotion.
0: So the universe started to Put things into your life and open up some opportunities mm-hmm. when you started to elevate your your kind of um, your vibration to a level of confidence and yeah. a level of asking for for uh, new opportunities because you knew you were worthy of it. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So as your titles began to change, how quickly did you adapt to your new roles? Was there a lot of trepidation involved when all of a sudden your salary rose and your expectation rose and Mm -hmm. your skill set maybe didn't match that set yet? Were, Were you nervous about the new playing field that you were playing on?
1: Yeah, I would be lying if I said I wasn't nervous at all about this new level, this new role, when I realized the company I would be in in terms of other people who have this title at other agencies bigger than mine. That made me nervous. It didn't make me nervous at my agency because, to be honest, I've been doing the job anyway. um, Parts of it, um, large parts of it I was doing already. So I was never nervous internally. I was never nervous with the clients I had. I was nervous about the clients that I was going to get, that I needed to help get. And I was nervous about the company I would be in outside of the agency Are these people going to see me as a fraud? See, the title is actually an advertising title. It has its roots in advertising. It's not really a title that I ever thought I would have as a journalist, you know, as a magazine writer and editor. But technology has changed, and the devices that we use and the content that we consume on those devices, it's all changed. That has dramatically impacted my industry So I came out of college thinking I was going to be the editor-in-chief of a magazine. Then there was the internet. And the internet said, well, print is not the only way that people will consume content. They're going to consume it in these ways, too. And then we started consuming all these content on our phones. And so people are now consuming it in this way, too. And that dramatically changed what I thought I was going to do with my life. So I was a native, what they call a digital native. So around the late 90s. Anybody who got involved in websites and creating websites and the internet around that time, certainly earlier, is considered a, a digital native. So I jumped ship from print to digital early on.
0: You saw, you saw the direction it was headed.
1: Yeah, I saw the money. The money was uh, good. <laughs> the the <laughs> money, you know, folks who were had money to create these websites, they were paying a lot more money than sure. print yeah. to for people who did what I did. And seventeen editors got recruited a lot because folks realized early on that teenagers, that young people. We're going to drive how this thing is built and what we're going to be using the internet right, for. Right. And so anybody who had any expertise with writing for teenagers, they got jobs. And I was one of them. So I worked for a web small website that, of course, went belly up after a while. Actually, no, it was sold. It did very well. But where I was creating news and entertainment for teenagers, was sold to AOL. And then that whole model went away. But I gained experience in creating websites. And that's when I went to... Teen people and and then eventually marthastewart.com and uh, then I moved down here, down south to Charlotte where eventually I started doing what I'm doing now.
0: That is an incredible little progression there. (laughs) Incredible little progression. Were there any decisions that you made along that path that you regret? Any big mistakes that you made where you look back and you cringe and you think, ah, I cannot believe I did that. I cannot believe I made that mistake.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, there certainly were a couple of opportunities that were dangled in front of me that I passed on. Okay. One was, you know, I had the opportunity to edit the prom issue of Seventeen Magazine. So if you're in youth media, right, this is the thing. So first of all, it's Seventeen Magazine. And then the prom issue is like the September issue of Vogue. Like there's no bigger issue of Seventeen Magazine or any any magazine than that prom time, right? Right. Um, And so to be the editor of Seventeen Magazine, the prom issue is a big deal, but I was also interviewing at Martha Stewart. Now, it was great that I went to Martha Stewart. I loved it, but when I look back at opportunities that I wished I had taken, that's one that I wish I had taken, just to see what it's like, just to be in charge of that project. And the editor was a big deal at the time. Everybody wanted to work with, with her, but I do remember very distinctly I I was confused. Which job should I take? I was blessed to have two opportunities in front of me. And I remember very clearly praying and asking God to make it clear. So which one should I take? And I got the answer almost immediately. So I was trying to learn more about this editor, what she was to work with. I couldn't get through to anybody. I couldn't get her assistant on the phone. I couldn't get a follow, you know, one I'd follow up questions, couldn't get to her, couldn't find her. Couldn't find my friends who had worked with her. Nobody was calling me back. I just couldn't get the information I was looking for. And then the Martha Stewart job, the woman who who hired me, who became a friend later in life, she said, I'm going to hire you on the spot. Told me this because of who you worked for at Time Inc. Wow. And I was like, when I stopped and I thought about it, I was like, I can't get this person on the phone to ask the follow up questions. But this woman told me in the interview, she's going to hire me on the spot because of who you worked for at Time Inc., and I know that he's tough and I know that he's good. So if you work for him, I have no qualms. It can't be any more clear than that. Of course. So I took the job and I don't regret it at all. But I do kind of wonder <laughs> yeah <Hindsight laughs> what that would have uh, been like. Yeah. You know, fashion and beauty is everything, but it was fine. It was good. I did the right thing.
0: So it's putting you to a good spot here. I love to hear people recount their journey and how much they loved it and how much it was so valuable to who they are now, Mm -hmm. right? They look back and they really smile and, oh man, those were good days. Those were good days. I really love those. And they were tough in that moment, but they've led me here to this SVP position. And I sit on the top of 130 creative minds, right brain thinkers, Mm -hmm. individuals that can take ideas from nothing. Yeah, and bring them into something. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's amazing. But what is creative content like? What is it that you do when you sit around this round table of incredible thinkers? How are you controlling these people? What are the ideologies that you're working from? Mm -hmm. Put me put me through a meeting that you're hosting.
1: Yeah, there's almost there's almost no controlling creatives, and you really at the end of the day you don't want to. They need to be able to think freely. So it's kind of like an experiment in failure to take a bunch of creatives and put them in an office setting and say, I need you to do what you do between the hours of nine and five. Right. Right. Um, So as much as we can, but we run a business. Right. And we're responsible for things, output, articles blog posts, social media content, videos. We have to create this stuff, and we're creating it for people who are not creatives. They're marketers, they have a business to run, they they have products to sell, they have an audience to reach. So, at some point, we gotta reel it in, and we gotta come up with the ideas and make them happen. So, how do you manage creative people, giving them just enough freedom and um, room to ideate, to grow, to think of stuff, to come up with the stuff that they're coming up with. It's hard. My partner introduced to me the way it's done in the advertising industry. There is a brief and there is a creative process and we put some parameters around it and that's how we get the work done. But it's amazing. I love watching them work. There are some people that I like sitting in the room and just listening to them, listening to them go on and come up with ideas and add things to. There are some that I have... um, these long text message exchanges with where we're, we're just throwing ideas back and forth. It's so much fun. Oh, that you sounds have so to fun. have those kinds of relationships with people where you say, I'm going to give you just, just a little bit of guideline and then go. Um, a lot of
0: trust involved in that, isn't there?
1: There is. And there's a lot of working to identify what people are good at. And I think that's one of the things that we're beginning to do better at our agency. What are our own team members good at? I'm going to put them on this program because they're really good at this subject matter. That person loves to cook, so she'd be great at this. This person has a dog, so she'd be great at coming up with this. This person is married and her kids are teenagers. we got to put her on this. And the key to that is giving people the opportunity to tap into what comes naturally to them. And tapping into their passions, right? Ooh. I try not to force any of my creatives to do something that doesn't come naturally to them. Because that's an, that's an exercise in failure. Right. So if there's an opportunity for someone to... Today, we had somebody writing a parody song. So we found somebody who's good at that. And we said, go ahead and write this parody song. I'm not going to give that to somebody who doesn't have the best sense of humor. Right. I'm not going to give that to my business writer, right? right? So... Making sure you get to know a little bit about people on your team, either directly or through the people who manage them, and then tapping into that expertise and that passion, that creates good work. If, when you do that, it like it creates itself, right? Right. I can't possibly create all this stuff, come up with all these good ideas. There was a point when I was trying. Sure. And that was dumb, right? <laughs> so, but that's learning. That's learning to be a manager. That's learning to be a boss and learning to help people bring out what they really are passionate about.
0: Incredible value you just came with there. The content that you manage... I have seen a guy like Gary Vaynerchuk, you, mm-hmm. are you, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're mm-hmm. familiar yeah, with yeah. Gary, and he talks about, um, he talks about the funnel mm-hmm. of how you've got to get individuals into your funnel. You've mm-hmm. got to get them first interested to where yep. they're checking you out, and yep. then you've got to have the value and the content and the mm-hmm. consistency mm-hmm. to keep them there yep. and to keep them coming back. That's right. And That's he's right. unapologetic about the way he does it. Yep. He looks in the mirror, he looks in the camera, and he says, look, I'm going to give you the best content, mm-hmm. and I'm going to give it to you for free. I'm going to get it, give it to you all day long, every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm going to own the New York Jets at some yep, time. Yep, 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 That's good content.
1: That's good. That's, that's good, good content. It's true.
0: Because you're giving me the path of least resistance to what mm-hmm. I really want, which is what's going to make me better.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so tell me about this funnel, because I think I understand it. Yeah. But it's very important to running a business and keeping mm-hmm. people residual interest, like people continuing to come back. Yeah. What so is this? It's
1: a, it's a marketing thing. And I only, I learned it in my role now. So I, like I said, I was a journalist, a content creator by trade. I never, the marketing business uh, b- uh, building at Syracuse was like across the quad. i never went there. That right. wasn't my thing. I was in communications, but the marketing funnel is old as the day is long. Um, to me, It's about honing in on audience need, right? So whatever your business is, whatever you are trying to sell, whether that's an actual physical product or you're trying to deliver a message or sell a message or you're trying to sell someone on yourself, you have to cast as wide a net as possible. So you want to reach a bunch of people, get the attention of a bunch of people, and that's the top of the funnel, right? So I'm going to try to cast a wide net to see how many people are going to be interested in my product or my message. Once you've got them with a sexy piece of content, whatever that is, whether it's a video or it's a podcast or it's a photograph or something you put on Instagram or Snapchat, right? You've got them. You've hooked them. Now somebody stopped and they're looking at you. You have very few seconds to keep their attention today. Because everybody knows that everybody's always doing more than one thing at a time right now, right? Sure. So you got a few seconds to keep someone's attention and capture it. And once you've got them, with that one piece of winning content, you have to immediately lead them to another piece of content that's a little bit further down the funnel. So now I've got you. My name is Wes Knight. And this is me, and I am out on Lake Norman. Is that where we go? Sure. Lake Norman? Yeah. Right? And so Wes is out there saying it's a beautiful morning, but I stopped and looked at the picture because Wes has his shirt off, right? <laughs> <laughs> so now you got me. Right. Oh, look, he has a caption under that talking about seize the day. I was just thinking about that. So I'm right. going to get up and I'm going to go seize the day. Sure. Oh, he does cool things like this all the time. Oh, he's got this podcast. Huh. I'm not going to listen to it today. Maybe I'll listen to it another time. Right. But you hooked me. Sure. Now you hooked me, right? So now I'm not at the top of the funnel anymore. Now I'm a little bit further down the funnel. So the next time I'm looking for a podcast to listen to, I remember the guy that had his shirt off. (laughs) I'm going to go see what he was talking about. Okay. Right? So now I'm listening to the podcast. And I don't know what you're talking about necessarily, but this guy, he was interesting. He said something cool that really, you know, inspired me the other day. So I'm going to listen to his podcast. Now I'm listening to your podcast. He's got this guy on there. Who talked about following his passion and turning his passion into a film? That's exactly what I want to do. Yeah. I have no idea how to get started. So I'm gonna to listen to this whole podcast. Now this person's further down the funnel, right? Okay. So now you've got this podcast and you're talking about pulling information out of this guy who created this movie and he's giving me tips right. on how I can get started. I never expected to get this from the guy who had no shirt on the other day, but now I have all this information that's gonna help me get off my butt. And make my movie. So now I'm so happy and I'm surprised. And also I'm a fan of yours. Sure. So now you've converted me. That's the conversion. Yeah. Right. So now I'm a fan of Wes because every time I encounter Wes on Snapchat or Instagram or I listen to his podcast, he's giving me good information that's helping me to motivate myself. And I like it. The best part, that's not where it ends. The best part is that I like it so much. I'm actually going to share it with somebody because I have my friend who always wanted to start her nonprofit. And I keep telling her to get off her butt and she won't do it. So I'm gonna send her that podcast. Mm. Right? So now I've not only you've not only converted me, now I'm a fan, and now I'm sharing everything I need to know, everything you need to know about West with my friend. So you're not just got me as a fan, you got another fan too. That's what this funnel is all okay. about. Okay. All
0: right. So that leads us to a great place where now the content creation becomes king. Content creation becomes <laughs> king because you have to be delivering valuable information Mm -hmm. consistently. Yeah. That's a tough thing to continue to think of ideas that are going to be valued Mm -hmm. by your consumer. Right. And that's what you do every single day. You are the oracle at your company at that explain to me and explain to the listener who may be sitting at home trying to figure out how to come with something different every day mm-hmm. and is questioning what they have that right. might be good, but don't know how it's going to be perceived. Right. What's it like for you when you get an idea? Right? Do you always know if it's a good idea or do you just go with it?
1: There are some times when you come up with an idea and you know it's a winner. Okay. Absolutely. There sure. are sometimes, and And there are all kinds of books out there about creativity, building creativity up to be this thing that you either have or you don't. I don't believe that's the case. Um, first of all, I, I'm very flattered by the Oracle and all that kind of stuff, but it's not just me. It's 130 people, sure. and I wish I could come up with every idea, but I can't. That's what the team is for. The other thing is that lots of people can come up with creative ideas, and we always say this that where creative ideas can come from anywhere. So the key to success is not just to have a bunch of creatives in a room. I need my business people in the room. I need the account people in the room. I need the analytics people in the room because we all see things differently. Um, One of the great creative books that I read recently was a book called Zigzag, and it talks about how there is no linear path to coming up with a big idea, it's all over the place. You gotta try and fail. You gotta try again, you gotta fail. You gotta be going down a path that you think is gonna be it. This is the great idea until you realize somehow that that's not idea- the idea, but it gives you this idea to make the big idea happen. One of the anecdotes the guy gives is, the creation of Starbucks. So I don't know any of these people's names. Look them up after. Google it afterwards. So the, the founder of Starbucks... He, Howard, Howard Schultz. Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> so he decides he in Italy and he's at a cafe. He loves He loves it. He loves what he's doing. He's seeing people enjoying coffee, enjoying espresso, enjoying conversation. Sitting around, he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this back home. So he tries it. He tries to create the whole cafe atmosphere with sofas and all this stuff. And what he realized is that nobody was doing that. Nobody was enjoying a, a cappuccino and sitting like they were doing in Italy. He was like, what's, what's wrong with this? This isn't happening. So, But he did know, the insight that he did gather is that people were, what they were doing is that they would get their coffee, their drink, or whatever it was, and they would stop and stand for a little while if they were with somebody or if they were meeting somebody and they used it as a meeting place. So the insight from that is I can't recreate what was happening in Italy, But if I allow them to stop and stand and just for a little bit, so he got rid of all the sofas and all the stuff. And he got rid of, and that's how it took off when people were like, the pressure was off. Sure. Like, I don't want to sit here in this coffee shop. This is weird. Yeah. But that eventually led to the insight that they will stop and they will stand and they will enjoy for a little bit if I allow them the space to do that. It eventually developed into what we see now. But that was awesome. It was like, it wasn't a failure because he could have said, I tried to recreate the cafe in the United States and it didn't work. Right. Right. But he kept going. And the insight was, if I allow them to do what they want to do naturally, then the business will grow.
0: 200 plus banks and investors turned him down for his for support on
1: his exactly. idea. 200 plus. exactly. So he wouldn't. Would you have kept going after like 162? <laughs> I <laughs>
0: like think
1: after six. 163, I, that's it. <laughs> I'm done with this.
0: I wonder if he wrote down the name of every individual.
1: I'm sure he was, because uh, that's was like, obsessively uh, freaky. Oh,
0: yeah. Weird, yeah. Tell me this. There are a lot of individuals who are highly accomplished that have some really cool routines and habits mm-hmm. that they use every day to get them going. And you mentioned coffee and coffee mm-hmm. is your thing. What is a habit that you have and that you implement every single day that is a product of your success or your yeah. success is a product of it?
1: Uh, so let's see. There are a couple of things that I find that I'm doing more out of habit or... um Comfort. And one of those things is I have to write down the ideas, which is, you know, I'm, I'm pretty paperless, right, at this point. I don't need to keep files and stuff like we did in the old days, back in the olden days when we were starting. So everything is either on your laptop or on your phone. But if I'm working on an idea and I'm trying to hash out an idea to see if it works, for whatever reason, it's not real to me unless I have written it down, written down the different iterations of the idea. I write down the audience. I write down the product. I write down the people I'm trying to reach. And there's a lot of crossing out. There's a lot of doodling on it. So I find myself every day, I wish I could say that it was the same cool notepad, right? That would make me a cool creative. But it's not. It's literally like the back of an envelope. It'll be the, some of it's on my hand. Some of it is on a piece of paper, like the mail that day. For whatever reason, and I saw a friend of mine had this on her Facebook post, writing uh, makes it real. So unless it's written down, whatever it is that I'm trying to come up with, it's not real until I write it down. I don't ever want to lose that because whatever the connection is between actually writing something and seeing it on paper and bringing it to fruition, that's, that works for me. Right. So I can't lose that. I don't want to lose that. So if there were, I don't know if it's a habit as much as it is just my process.
0: That's your process. Yeah. And do you keep those things or do no, you them No, I toss throw them, them out. I do, I throw them out. So you have learned over time to develop these habits for success because trial and error right? When you think back to your younger self, when you probably didn't have any habits and you weren't figuring anything out, what would you say to the individuals who are trying, maybe I'm 22, 23 years old right now. Mm -hmm. I'm just fresh out of school and I'm just trying to make my way. Some of these things aren't working. I'm not really happy with what's happening in my life. And I'm worried that maybe I'm not involved in my passion. What would you say to any individual listening today who might be thinking, man, she's an SVP. At one point she was You mean to tell me that she was eating bagels and coffee only? What would you say, what would you now say to your younger self or any individual who might be in a spot similar?
1: Um, I think what I try to communicate to people that we're bringing onto the team or trying to identify for opportunities is that you have to be willing, right? You have to be willing to work. You have to be willing to wait, and you, you know, you, you guys have seen enough of these things. There's memes out there to tell you all the things, So, you, know, you know, patience and grind and you see them all day long. But what I wish there was a meme that said, are you willing to work? Are you willing to wait? And if you're not, then don't bother. Okay. Right. So I see a lot of people who want instant reward, instant gratification, or they think that the job is the end goal. The job is the reward the job is not the reward. The output from the job is the reward and how you've made people feel about it. I don't care what your job is. It could be business. It could be, you could be accounting. It could be whatever. Getting the job and, and landing the job. That's not the end game, right? So the end game is what you do with that. Now I can't make you happy at your job if that's not your passion. You guys have seen and heard enough about there, out there about passion and finding it and knowing what it is and how do I find it. It's not that hard. It's the thing that you love. Yeah, period. Period. You work at it. You may not make any money at it at first, but eventually it, it's going to happen. That's not fake. That's a real thing. Eventually you will figure out how to get paid from your passion. Yeah. I'm not going to talk to you about that. Figure out your passion and go for it. Go. But you have to work. Right. Yeah. That's where we spend right. all of our time, unless you're independently wealthy and you don't have to work. And if you don't have to work, then you can probably stop listening now. <laughs> but if you do have to work, then how do I make sure that there is something I love about what I'm doing? How do I turn that passion into my paycheck? Right. How do I turn that passion into the thing that I want to do more than anything else? And oh, by the way, I'm getting paid. Sure. Sure. You have to be willing to work, Yeah. right? You have to be willing to wait. Sure. It's not going to come to you overnight. Somebody is going to have to realize your brilliance and right. that's going to take a minute, right? right. Not everybody is going to see you walk into the room and like, that's the person I want to hire and promote for the next two years. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen that way. And I, I meet a lot of people who aren't willing to put in the work. And I'd sound a little bit like the old fogey when I start having these conversations but I did that. Entertainment Weekly was a weekly magazine. It closed on a Monday and a Tuesday. Those were the late nights. Those were the nights that we worked till one, two o'clock in the morning so that we could put out a magazine that would go to press and be ready for everybody on Thursday. So I put in those hours and I never said, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm an editorial assistant. I'm going home at six. You could go home at six, but the work didn't start till eight. Right? Right. So, any magazine that comes out weekly has a similar schedule. So, if you're a new person that's in a setting like that, then you have to be willing to put in the work, especially as a low man on the totem pole. It's a little bit different if you're in digital and you're working on a website, but it's the same thing. That work is hard, that work is long hours. If you get a job at a website, whether it's big or small, you are going to be working a lot. Yes. Right? If you are starting your own business, whether it's for profit or not for profit, You're going to be working a lot of the time. A lot. Some of that work is going to be at night. Some of it is going to be when your friends are going out. Some of it is going to be when you'd rather be doing other things, even if it's sleeping. Sure. That's putting in the work. So a lot of people say that. You see those memes, I grind, you know, I do this, I do that. But people, I don't think people are really willing to do that. Right. (laughs) You know why? Because it's hard. (laughs) It is hard. It's hard.
0: It is hard. And it it, it doesn't feel good.
1: No. And sometimes it's thankless. Nobody's going to come in and say, oh, look at you. Congrats, you work till 2 a.m., way to go.
0: But when you, do, when you do the work to figure out what your passion is, mm-hmm. and then you make the decision to work behind the passion, right. it's not work. Right. It's just the process. Right. And that you can't overlook the process. Right. Right. right? Because that's everything. Yeah. Progress is a slow process.
1: That's right. That's one of my right.
0: favorite quotes ever. Tell me this. Tell me one thing you do every single day that makes you a better you.
1: One thing that I do every single day, let's see, my favorite thing that I do every single day that makes me a better mother, makes me a better person, makes me a better boss, makes me a better employee, I have to spend time with the people. With Mark, with Danielle, with Max, with Marco. That's conversations. I I don't care what we're talking about and with a teenager conversation is hard. But I have to spend that time. And I don't care if it's in the morning. Sometimes with Marco, usually it's in the morning. I'm not really talking about anything. But I have to have a moment when he's looking at me and I'm looking at him. And we are just having a conversation. Connecting with each with each other. Right. If I can't do that with all of them, it's hard with Danielle. She's in the Navy. But we FaceTime a lot. And I find that those moments when it's us and we're looking at each other, FaceTime isn't so annoying sometimes, but at the same time it forces you to be in someone's face, right? So if I don't have that for too long with her, I feel ungrounded and I'm pretty sure she does too, right? right? So when I'm able to do that, it's more than checking something off a list to see if they're okay, but it's more like, have I connected with the people that mean more to me than anything in the world today. If I haven't done that, then what kind of day was today? Right. Right. Then I didn't do the right thing. We talked a little bit about at the end of every day, making sure you feel like you've done the right thing, whether you are splitting your time between work and family or work and other obligations at the end of every day. Do you feel like you've done the right thing that day? And if I haven't connected with them, and sometimes I don't connect with them all because we're so busy, we're all over the place. But on those days when I do, I know I made the effort and I did it. Those are good days. Sure. Right? So that's the one thing I try to make sure I'm intentional about doing every day.
0: Intentions. Now, there are
1: other people that I need to talk to. I talk to my sister, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a day. I talk to my partner a lot every day on our drive home, because I feel like I have to make those intentional connections every day with people who are important to me. Sure. And if I haven't tried equally as hard to do that as I have tried to send an email, then I've done the wrong thing that day.
0: That makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> it's driven by intention. Right. I love that. Right. Intention is very powerful. Your intention is decided by your attention Right. So you're putting your attention on family and that's a big driver for you. And mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's it's very big for me as well. And mm-hmm. although uh, all of our family members don't share the same interest in that, right. I try to do what I can right. to get whatever fulfillment I can out right. of it when, when I need it, when I need to be filled up. As I sit here and I recount my life and I wonder how a guy who focused so much on just being good at dribbling a ball with his feet, how he wound up being so passionate about something very similar to what you do and what you've found you have loved. Was there a moment where you realized, I'm a journalist, I'm a writer, I'm a creative. And how did you find your passion? And how did you know honestly, you were connected to it?
1: Yeah, honestly. And I I know a couple people like this. There are a couple of us nerds out there, a couple of my friends that I've made over the years who do what I do. So I was born into a family of creative people. My mother's a creative person. She's a seamstress. She made her own clothes. She made our clothes. She made things. She was a, a baker. She was an amazing cook. Creating things was what she did. So it was only natural that that was going to rub off on me and that was going to rub off on my sister. You absorb those things from your parents. Okay. I grew up. Like a lot of people, a lot of black people, I grew up with my grandmothers in the house. So I lived with a grandmother, sometimes two grandmothers at all times. My father's mother was a creative person. And she was, just like my father, a voracious reader. She read everything. She subscribed to every magazine. She got catalogs on top of catalogs. And when they would come to the house for her, I would read them first. (laughs) I would go through them first and she'd be like, you didn't, you read my magazine. But it was, that's just, that's what she did. So that's what I did. That's what I saw. My father, the bookshelf in my house was ceiling to floor. And I have always been a nerd. One of the things that I used to do is I, I used to actually organize the books on our bookshelf. It made me crazy if the books were not, if it needed to be like a library. So these, so I would do that from time to time. Reorganize ceiling to floor the books on the bookshelf. You would catalog them. I would catalog them either by subject. Sometimes I did them by alphabetical order by author. Sometimes I would do them by first name of the author, whatever it was, whatever I felt at that moment, it, however it needed to change, I would do that. And then I would do a catalog of what was on the shelf. And so he was constantly adding too. Wow. So, yeah, and he knew that I would do it. So I think that he would intentionally sometimes move the books or buy <laughs> new books and put it... And even to this day, I like, um, so websites are built on taxonomy, which is the organization of information. And when I learned that I could do that as an editor, help build websites and I could help come up with taxonomy, which is actually how search engines crawl your website and how they surface information for people searching. I, I love taxonomy. Wow. I admit that freely. Mm. And I, that's tough for you to admit. No, taxonomy (laughs) is hot, sexy. There's nothing sexier than taxonomy. That's exactly what Mark says all the time. Um, But I love it, and I realize that kind of... I say that to say that's just always something that I've loved to do. Cool. And the same with the magazine. When I was little, I used to create magazines out of notebook paper. Anything that my Barbie dolls didn't have, I would make that for them out of paper. I just was always constantly doing things. Like if I felt Barbie needed to go grocery shopping... And I didn't have that accessory because you're supposed to buy that stuff. I would make it. I remember spending Whoa. time making the groceries for Barbie to shop, right? Whatever it was, I was always making something. I was always writing something. I was always creating something. I wrote stories. I would interview my parents and write a story. I would interview my sister. I would write a story. I was just always that person. My, if you ask my sister right now, she'd be like, you are such a nerd. <laughs> that's not, that's probably not nice, but it's probably true. And Mark says all the time, too, he's like, did you ever go outside and play as a child? I did, but not as much as I was inside making stuff. That's just always been my thing. So there wasn't a moment when I turned into a writer. Right. That's just, it's, it's always what I did. Love it. I knew when I was in high school that I was going to go to college and major in journalism. I was on the school newspaper, right? I was on the yearbook. That's That was my thing forever. I did it in college and I did it. You know, got my bylines as a national magazine in college. And when I graduated, I finally got a job at magazines. And here I am doing what I always knew I would do.
0: All right. Last creating space yeah. question. You've always had a vision, an idea of where you're headed. What are you creating space in your life for the future? What What's your vision look like now? Your family, you've got two highly educated young boys. You've got a relationship with a partner that you said is your bliss and you guys work very well together. I've seen it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can attest to that. How have your priorities changed and where are you going next?
1: Right. I think I have eased up on myself a little bit. I had a plan and Mark and I had a plan together. I had things I wanted to do. He had the things he wanted to do. We had our things we wanted to do together and we pretty much mapped it all out and planned it all up until about the age of 40. And then after that, we didn't have a plan. And so that for a long time, I was like, huh, now what? I think only in the past year and a half, and partially it's with this promotion and this opportunity to lead other creative people, I've been hard on myself because I didn't know what was next. What's the plan? What are you trying to do? I was so focused on creating an opportunity for myself to do what I love in this part of the country, in this state, in this city, without having to go back to New York or to a major metro area. I was determined to do what I loved, stay here. So I made this opportunity for myself. I created it for myself where I can do this job and not have to move and go into an office every day because I don't like going into an office every day. When I first put that out there to my boss, you know, they were like, "Well, we'll keep you on as a consultant. But if you want a full time job, you have to come into the office. Sure. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And they were like, well, we're not going to be able to bring you on full time unless you move, unless you come into the office. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to prove to you that I don't need to be there. Now, that's a raging debate in, our, in my industry, right. the value of remote employees, and can you really work from home, and can you really advance your career from home? And I'm here to tell you, you can, because I've been there six years, and now I'm SVP, ECD, right? So I say all that to say, I worked so hard at that, and then when I achieved it, like last year, I kind of was like, huh, again, okay, no plan. Yeah. What I've realized is that that's part of the plan, and now I'm in this place where I get to help other creative people learn and grow. And for now, that's fulfilling to me. Eventually, the goal is get to a place where I am creating my own things, stories, books, video, all of that. I have plans for all of that in my head. I will get to that once I feel like I'm done with this mentor, mentoring type thing that okay. I'm doing. Helping other people helps me feel better about what I do, feel better that I am accomplishing something, that I'm helping, that I'm contributing, not to somebody's bottom line, but to somebody's personal growth. Gotcha. Right. And so once I've had my fill there, I'm going to focus my attention on my own things, my own passion projects. And there are a few.
0: Can you share any of those? Nope. (laughs) I have a, a... an idea that they may center out of this room that this we're in.
1: This very room, yes. Could be, on, very room. could be
0: on this table that your, your mother constructed. <laughs> That's right that's right so listeners we've had a great time here at Heather it's my awesome. pleasure my pleasure to come in awesome. and, and chat with you if you would love to hear more of the Creating Space podcast you can find us on the iTunes store at Creating Space with Wes Knight you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Wesley Knight and if you want to go into Snapchat and you want to see a little behind the scenes stuff you can find me there at Wes Knight I've enjoyed it Heather
1: thank you I
0: look forward to continuing to build the friendship and so uh, so for so all you cool. listeners, I, I know you'd enjoyed it as well. So we'll wrap it up here. I hope you have a great week. We'll get back at you. Episode nine coming at you next week.